and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 19, Azazel and the Hierarchy of the Gods. In previous shows, we talked about the organizational structure throughout history and into the end time uh, that has taken place, and we've talked about the 70 gods and their 70 dominions that are established around the earth and all of these different subdivisions of dominions around the earth as you go throughout this organizational structure, all answerable to Satan as the prince and the god of this world. And so we're going to talk a little bit today in terms of the invisible ones that are talked about in Colossians 1.16 and those in high places talked about in Ephesians 6 because as it's written is we're not in a battle of just flesh and blood which are part of the hierarchy uh, at the bottom end as being guided by these beings in high places but we're also dealing in a spiritual warfare with spirits and we need to understand that hierarchy how it fits in how it works and we're going to talk about that today as we go through linking that into where Azazel fits into the organizational structure and how that fits in with Revelation 9 as the abyss is opened after the beginning of the last seven years but before the midpoint or the three and a half year point of the last seven years. So we've got a lot to cover today and I think we're going to connect a lot of dots for people who may not be as uh, deep into the minutiae and some of the details on this, but I think that you'll find that it's going to connect uh, a number of dots for we, for people as we go through this. So we're going to start with Daniel 4, and we're going to talk about the term watchers. And it's a key term in terms of the hierarchy that links into the other New Testament verses that I'm going to talk about in some of the positions. But as watchers, as it's uh, described in Daniel 4, this is the Hebrew word ayir for angel or guardian angel. Guardian as being covering angel as it's used in uh, Ezekiel 28 and in the book of Enoch that surrounds the throne. And these are angels that represent God on earth and particularly with one of the orders of the watchers that has a lot to do with governing. And in Daniel 4.17, we, we hear of the decree of the watchers by the word of the holy ones and the God most high who gives power on earth to whom he chooses and until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled in the end, at the end time when the angels are sent to the lake of fire, then this is the organizational governing structure that has been ordained by God to go for a set period of time only known to God Most High. And included in these watchers are three different orders. 
and very, very important as we look at them at the top of the order. And they're described in Enoch 61 and Enoch 771. Uh, and I'll match that up so that we understand how that fits within the Bible, because we need to measure and take everything outside the Bible back to the Bible so that we know that what we're understanding for context is accurate and true. So it has to fit. And so in Enoch, it talks about three, the seraphim, which are Isaiah 6. So we know that those are the fiery serpent angels. And we have the cherub, which are in Ezekiel and other parts of the Bible as well as in, um, and also the Ophanim, which is a different group, either an order of cherub or a separate type of angel. And we don't get the word Ophanim in the Bible, but we get in Ezekiel, um, one with the throne of God, we get the term uh, wheels. And wheels goes back to the word Ophan, and the I am for the male plural will give you the ones. And we know they're a different kind of angel than the cherub because they have four faces like the cherub but whereas the cherub have one of the faces as an ox that is replaced by a cherub uh, in the Ophanian group and these are the three names that are described in the book of Enoch that surround the throne and it makes sense as we understand the Ezekiel versions of the throne of God being brought into the physical realm as we understand the cherubim as being the covering angels not technically guarding or guardian as what it's used today as protective angels for individuals but for surrounding the throne and the seraphim who work before the altar and the throne of God in the fiery stones in very much a minister type capacity as described in Isaiah 6 again. So when we look at these watchers, these are kind of at the upper end, but we have some other positions in the hierarchical order that we need to start positioning into this because we know there's millions and millions and millions. And if Revelations is correct that 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million, even though it may be a bit figurative and allegorical, it could be more than that uh, as an uncountable number. But a full third of them by Revelation 12 are going to have rebuilt. So there's going to be a hierarchy. And uh, just as when Jesus was talking to the Roman soldier, um, when he had faith that when Jesus said it would be done, just as an order is carried out in the army, that is a comparative understanding of what goes on in the organizational structure in heaven. And because everything is kind of counterfeited by the fallen angels and the rebellion, so they can, they can be like God in a realm like God, but separate is what they're after and what they're trying to counterfeit. They're going to have an organizational structure that is kind of similar to what is done in heaven. And I would call it a counterfeit structure. So in Ephesians 6, we get principalities, powers, and rulers in high places. So we get three different terms for some of the other positions in, in the uh, organizational structure of angels. And these are the ones that are talking about the ones who are governing the earth. And in Colossians 1.16, we get the invisible ones, thrones, dominions, and again, powers and principalities. So you have a couple more additional ones that are described here. And with invisible ones, this they're invisible because they're in spirit form. So unless they take a physical form, they're not going to be seen. 
And that's one of the capacities that angels seem to have is they take many different types of forms, including humans, in the Bible. And so invisible ones is also a term that is used by the Rosicrucians and the upper secret societies as to the celestial masters uh, that they follow, the celestial mafia or the fallen angels. And uh, they're also known as spirit guides and aliens and the great white brotherhood and many, many other terms. But it's interesting that we get invisible ones. That is the same term that the polytheists use and we get that in Colossians 1. We also get in Colossians 2 and Galatians 4, one with uh, being rudiments, and, and in Galatians they're called elements. And it's included in Colossians 2 as the rudiments, as those who, as part of the worshiping of angels, and then in Galatians as a further expansion, that it's these elements that are putting the world into bondage, which you know, fall under the rule of Satan and into his organizational structure as a, you have these different dominions around the world. So let's just talk a little bit about these meanings so that we have a kind of an understanding and how it's almost a circular sort of uh, working here that supports each other in terms of the meanings that they're talking about as the various names show up in the New Testament. So starting with principality, that comes from the word arca. And that means chief or magistrate or rule. So when you hear magistrate, it's also roots back to the word arca. And ruler as in ruler and or archons or archangels. It's all sort of interconnected in the meaning. So we're talking about powerful angels in high places and spirit beings. Power goes back to the, to the word Greek word excusia, which means superhuman as an angel, a magistrate and authority. So when we hear about the term authorities, and particularly as they may be called hostile rulers and authorities in the Gnostic scriptures, as you may hear that term thrown out, they're talking about the same celestial mafia um, that's talked about in the Bible for these dark forces. The term thrones goes back to thronos, which means a power or a seat of rule or a throne or a governing position. So again, identifying a organizational structure. Dominion goes back to the word kuriotos, which means ruler or government and authority again. So now we have a ruling government as in the council of the gods in Isaiah or in Psalms 82, uh, that starts to make sense with some of these other terms. And of course, Psalms 82 is talking about the gods who are ruling in the 70 nations created after the flood and after Babel and, the, and also in the numbers of, of Israel as it's talked about in Deuteronomy. And these are the angels that weren't sent to the abyss. So these are the fallen ones that aren't in the abyss. Part of the rebellion, but only the worst of the angels and those who violated the laws of creation and the impassioned ones were sent to the abyss. And we're going to come back to the abyss a little bit later on in, in our discussion here. But understand, again, all of these terms are describing this council of the gods and the dominions underneath. The last word is rudiment or element, which also means principles or principalities, angel, and the worship of them thereafter. And of course, the elementals, when we look at how the polytheist term elementals uh, and the term rudiment, because it all goes back to the same word in, in Greek, these are the lowest class of that structure. 
And what, we, what they tend to mean by that are the elementals in terms of the little people. So whether or not this term is going back to that same reference that they are, they've drafted that term for the fairies and the different classes of fairies that did specific roles in the ancient antediluvian hierarchy and all the little ones that are described, uh, you know, in the occult had specific roles to play, whether or not they made weapons like uh, dwarves or whether or not they looked after technology and knowledge and genealogies like the gnomes. They all had a, sp a particular role. And so again, as we looked at all of these different terms, they're all talking about that same type of hierarchy. In this hierarchy, we also have the demons, which are the bodiless spirits of the demigods or the offspring of the angels created in Genesis 6 with the watchers and the sons of God. And if, as we understand this, we also have, as we talked about earlier, it, Satan who is at the top of this hierarchy. So if we look at the top of the hierarchy, uh, we'll talk about another layer in a, in a couple of minutes and we have all of these different names for different positions. These are all different uh, parts of the hierarchy. Then you have likely the demons and then the elementals at the bottom. And so you get an understanding of the hierarchy and you also need to fold in another term that is talked about uh, in Leviticus 7.17 and 2 Chronicles 11 about these devil goat gods, as you take that back to Hebrew, these are the satyrs. These are the degraded gods that uh, aren't in the abyss but are still active after the flood as I understand it. And if there are other orders, and there very well could be that aren't depicted as goats, then there are other ones. But this will certainly be part of them. And we know that these are the ones that are worshipped also after the flood. And as they're talked about in Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34, amongst dragons and other things that all has the same similar imagery to the angelic realm that we've been talking about here. So let's keep that in mind as, as we roll forward. But what we also need to understand is that there are um, other sections that are talked about in terms of this upper hierarchy that Enoch talks about. So I want to talk about that um, in, in relationship to these other angels. But let's just talk about right now the, the term that comes out that I get asked about a lot about the Satans in Enoch. And that comes out in Enoch 41 and 64. And it's what's talked about here is about these Satans is that they are not permitted to accuse humans before God. Only Satan is. And so you see a moving of the, or a separation of that hierarchy between Satans and the lower Satans, as I would call them. These are the right-hand men of Satan. So it, they're, very, they're very high up in the order, but they're not permitted to go before God as Satan is with the sons of God in the book of Job. But they are very, very important as they work for Satan underneath Satan in the pantheon that is set up all around the world. And these are... Uh, the powers who have uh, knowledge and have the ability to utilize their magic in the physical world as the celestial mafia and the rulers of the, of the governing council. So these are the highest ones. And in um, Enoch 70, we also get names of the fallen angels and of the Satans, of which Satan, or which, of which Azazel is included in. 
And in Enoch 6, we also get a term that is mentioned that's in Ezekiel 70 about the tens. And in Ezekiel 6, they're described as the tens of tens. Just as in Ezekiel 70 is, is you have the tens and have the hundreds, which in, again is a multiple of the tens. So what you see is, is you have seemingly seven that are described in Enoch, which is a counterfeit of the seven angels before God and the archangels like Gabriel and uh, Michael. And they'll have a counterfeit seven. And then below that, you have the tens of tens as you fall below. And then the ones that govern, you know, those are the ones that govern over the hundreds. And you can start to see that sort of pyramid start to break down for you. So it's important to understand that. And of course, Azazel is mentioned in that hierarchy. And Azazel is a very, very important angel uh, within this hierarchy, even though a lot of people confuse him with another angel called Semiazza that uh, I'll talk about in, in a minute. But Azazel in Enoch 10 is talked about as the one who is cast in Dudael or the abyss for all the ascribed sins of the world as a scapegoat. Um, and the cause of the flood. In Enoch 8, he's the one who teaches all war and the making of weapons in the antediluvian epoch, which is one of the reasons why he is, is the scapegoat um, being punished. And so this implicates that there wasn't war before he teaches this, and this happens after the sixth generation or the days of Noah, as the Bible calls it, in, in the sixth generation of Jared, as Enoch talks about, which both are congruent. So whichever term you want to use on that, but Jesus talks about the days of Noah. So I prefer to use the word the days of Noah. And in 9.6 in Enoch, he taught all of the eternal secrets of heaven to uh, the humans, even though there's other angels that are providing knowledge. So he's like the God of war and the God of knowledge, which is very, very important as we understand Azazel's position as we move into the end time later on in, in, in this telecast. And Azazel in chapter 55 in Enoch is the one who is the leader of all of the hosts that are put into the abyss. So as we said, there's one's angels that went to the abyss for the rebellion, there's ones who haven't yet, but all of them will go to the lake of fire at the end of the end time, and then Satan a thousand years later, as, as uh, that's talked about in Revelation 20. And in Ezekiel 54, um, again, we get another verse where we have Azazel and all of his hosts that are being cast into, into the abyss. And Satan, as, as, as we talked about as the leader, Azazel would be one of these Satans, one of these kind of lieutenants or lieutenants, depending on where you're from and how you want to enunciate that word. And he would be probably the key right-hand person. And he would be sort of the leader of, of the Satans, plural, answering to uh, Satan and to uh, leading the tens of the tens that we had talked about. So he's a very, very important player, and we need to understand him. But before we move on into how he, his name connects into the Bible, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the difference between Azazel and Shemiazah. And so we get different names of the, 
of, of Shemyaza in, in the book of Enoch. And it's again, it's one of the things I like to be very careful with Enoch. I like it a lot, but we want to make sure we understand it as it's congruent, congruent with the Bible. We get references to Azazel, but not to Shemyaza or its various forms. So you've got Shemyaza with a J. Uh, you've got Semiazaz, which is a very important name that connects him to Azazel. You've got, uh, so Semiazaz appears three times. You've got Semiazaz appears once. Um, you've got another spelling of Semiazaz with a Y that appears once. And you've got a couple other differentiations. So you have different corruptions of either the same name or a name that is, um, applies it, you know, to other angels, but is pronounced very, very similarly as it's, it's translated out of Hebrew. And we don't have an original Hebrew, so we can't check the variations of this. But what we do know is it doesn't end in E-L like Azazel does or Michael does or Gabriel does. And I think that's important to understand. And a lot of researchers, um, as they look at the book of Enoch, uh, have concluded that Shemiaza is the same angel as angels and it's part of a corruption and they were split into two angels or even more as we get the different spellings coming down through different translations, whether or not it's the Giaz version out of Ethiopia or the Aramaic version that's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, Greek versions. You can see how some transliterations may have happened but we don't have the original Hebrew, so we can't compare that back. But it doesn't have an E-L as Azazel does, as as E-L. And so as we take that name Semyaza back, it's also known as Azor, uh, some say that Yaza in Zoroastrian religion and the Amer and in the Aramaic, I'm having trouble with that word, translation are both a translation for the name of an angel, but there's no E-L. So it's kind of like more like a title or a definition to the angel than a name. And the reason why I say that is that um, when you look at the, the, the suffix, uh, and apart from the Yaza, which goes back to another term for an angel or E-L, that's how it would be expressed in, in, in Hebrew or in other um, transliterations of languages around the Middle East, I-L or A-L or A-L-L-A-H, different variations, I-L-U, all of, of the word angel or God as it comes out of Hebrew in the original translations of the Old Testament Bible. So the root word is Shem or Sem, S-E-M or S-H-E-M and or S-A-M. M as in Sam, all depends on the transliteration that you're looking at as that comes out of Hebrew. And Shem goes back to the word renown as in the men of renown in Genesis 6-4, the Nephilim that is being described, and of fame. And in this case, the Nephilim would have been famous of infamy. And it equally goes back to the word, plural word, Shemayim, as in Nephilim, with the I-M being the male plural, as in Seraphim. And so also understood as male plural and as ones. So as you have Seraphim, that's the fiery serpent angel ones. And you have, in this case, uh, Shemaim, which is of the heavens, of the stars. And so these are the renowned ones of, of 
the stars, the rebellious ones. And so the Nephilim were not only men of renown for their infamy, but also the ones of those from heaven, those angels who rebelled the sons of God in Genesis 6. And so uh, we have a complete sort of understanding here then as, as of the word Shemiazah going back etymologically and in meanings in every sort of avenue that we have to likely being the same angel as Azazel. So it's very, very important to understand not to confuse it because you have to understand that the book of Enoch isn't necessarily uh, an uncorrupted uh, version, as, as I would call it. I think it runs 99% uh, pure, but we need to be careful of it. So linking Azazel now back to uh, the Bible in the Leviticus 16, uh, three times in verses 8, 10, and 26, we get the word scapegoat in the King James Version Bible. As you take that back to Hebrew, that is the word Azazel for scapegoat. And that, to me, is not a coincidence because you have a second goat on the Day of Atonement being, being sacrificed, but you're not told why, but they're sent, it's sent out to the wilderness or to Dudael as a sacrifice of sins on the Day of Atonement, but we're not told why. And I think that is a sacrifice that's an honor uh, and in remembrance as more of honor, but in, in as a memorial of what happened before the flood and it's part of the Day of Atonement. And Azazel is rooted in another Hebrew word, 5795, pronounced very, very similar, but in the English transliteration, we get an E instead of an A, and it's Azaz, uh, just as Azaz is the first part of, of the Azazel name, A-Z-A-Z, -A -Z, and we're going to come back to that in, in a couple of minutes, and that means goat. Just as a satyr goat, God is what we had talked about in Leviticus 17 and 2 Chronicles. And I think these are degraded fallen angels um, after the order or image of Azazel, who is also depicted in the occult religions and in organizations as a goat god. So again, I don't believe there's any sort of coincidence there. And it's important to understand this as we move forward to understand what's going to happen in the end time because... In Daniel, in chapter 11, several times we get fortresses and the God of forces, forces that Antichrist is going to worship. And that's the Hebrew word maus, which means forces or fortresses or strength. And it's rooted in a series of words that are connected to Azazel. And they're connected this way. So Maus is rooted in 5810, which is A-Z, A-Z, the first part of uh, the, the meaning for Azazel, which is goat, and the E-L is God, right? So he's a goat god, he's an angel, and that, that's his name as it comes out of the scapegoat in Leviticus, and in Enoch. And that means strong, brazen, or immodest, just as Azazel was being one of the Satans and being one of the vocal Satans. And one of the ones who would have wanted to have accused humans before God at the throne, but wasn't permitted as only Satan is the adversary permitted to do that, as Job talks about. And that's rooted in a couple other words that are spelled similarly as well as an AZ and AZAZ that means strong and everything. And they root back to 5795, which is EZ, EZAZE, which is the same word that Azazel is rooted back in, and it means goat. 
And so we get that combination of the name of the God that Antichrist is going to worship in the end time, and that's going to be Azazel, the, the God of forces. And the reason why that's really important is that as we look at Revelation 9, we have the king of the abyss coming out, and that's Abaddon and Apollyon. Again, we don't get that E-L on the name. We just get a title. And I'll start with Abad, Abaddon, which goes back to the Hebrew word Abodin, which is meaning destruction, death, and Hades. And this word is used for uh, destruction in Jeremiah 51, which Antichrist destroys Babylon in Jeremiah 51 as the destroyer the one who destroys Babylon, just as he does in Revelation 17, just after the midpoint or right around the midpoint of the last seven years. And it's interesting that you have a bad and connected to Hades, just as in Job 26 and 28, uh, as you take Hades or hell back, that goes back to uh, uh uh, the root word Abaddon as well. And in Proverbs 15, 11, you have destruction and hell linked with destruction going back to bad and hell going back to Hades. And uh, you also have Abaddon goes back to the root word H6, which is A-B-A-D, again, meaning destroyer. And so we have the definition as a title, but not the real name of that king. Similarly, Apollyon, G623, also means destroyer in Greek as you take that back. And so this is the same title for the same God and the same king. And that's rooted into uh, a series of words that uh, come out of it like G622, which is Apollomai, which means destroy and ruin, and 684, which is Apollia, which means destruction or perish to hell, which again is a connection right back to Hades and Abaddon. And what's really important of all of that is, is that is the root word for perdition that is used to describe the son of perdition or antichrist um, in the Bible in John 17, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 17, 8, and 11. And this is the one who comes up out of the abyss. And I think what is going on here is that in Revelation 13, antichrist receives a mortal head wound and you're going to see Azazel, after he comes out of the abyss, he is going to jump into an avatar in a symbiotic relationship to help Antichrist do all of his magical powers, understanding that Azazel is the god of knowledge and the god of war, and is going to give power to Azazel to do the thing, or to Antichrist to do things that he needs to do. And we also understand that Antichrist in Revelation 17 is the one who once was, now is not, but will be again and comes up out of the abyss. So connecting him back to Azazel in, in the abyss. So it's very, very important to understand the players and to understand how all of this structure works and how it's going to come about to be that infrastructure and organizational structure that's going to deceive humankind in the last seven years and what's going to be imposed on us particularly with Antichrist rule beginning at the midpoint of the last seven years. And Azazel, as he's understood with the occult forces, is a very, very important angel. He's known as the Goat of Mendes. Um, he's also known as the, the Archon of the Tenth Age of Capricorn. 
He's the goat of Chem of Capricorn. He is the goat of Mendes and or is Azel of Alchemy. He is the goat that is hung upside down in pentagram forms. And he is the right-hand man of Satan. He's also the angel that is hung upside down in the Rosalind Church in Scotland that was formed made by the founders of Freemasonry after the breakup of the Knights Templar. And he's upside down with a rope fading away that is shaped in a transposed uh, Z, so it looks like an S, but it stands for Azazel in its figurative sense. And he has a necklace or the pearls of wisdom representing the knowledge that he provided uh, the antediluvians and will again in the end time as the god of war and the god of knowledge. And so this is the Azazel who we need to start to understand is going to come back and be a player. We do have biblical connections and it starts to answer the title of this king and who he is in the abyss. So I've run a little bit over time. Uh, so thank you for your patience on this show. If you want to get a little bit more information on Azazel or, or the Afanim or the Sons of God uh, or the 70 gods that I've talked about, get a hold of me through my website, the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6, the number 6Conspiracy.com. Ask for the information by the topic area and I will get that information back to you. So until next time, uh, thank you for being part of the Christian Contrarian Show and hopefully we connected a few more dots and we will continue to set the table and connect things into prophecy as this series moves forward. Thank you until next time.